I know that some of you may be here this morning. You're going to hear the good news this morning of the gospel that Jesus Christ offers forgiveness of sin and salvation. And it's possible to sit there and think, yeah, but I'm an unlikely candidate. I don't deserve that. Well, let me just clear something up to start with. None of us do. You don't come to faith in Christ because you deserve it. You don't come because you were a good candidate. In fact, the candidate we're going to see this morning wasn't the typical good candidate. And so that offer of eternal life is open to you. Second thought, if you're a believer here this morning, you're going to get to see an opportunity of evangelism this morning. You're going to get to see Philip take the good news of Jesus Christ to this unlikely candidate in what I've called a divine appointment. Let me just read the first part of the passage. It's Acts chapter 8, verses 25 and following. So, when they had solemnly testified and spoken the word of the Lord, they started back to Jerusalem. And we're preaching the gospel to many villages of the Samaritans. But an angel of the Lord spoke to Philip, saying, Get up and go south to the road that descends from Jerusalem to Gaza. This is a desert road. So he got up and went. And there was an Ethiopian eunuch, a court official of Candace, queen of the Ethiopians, who was in charge of all her treasure. And he had come to Jerusalem to worship. And he was returning and sitting in his chariot, and was reading the prophet Isaiah. Then the Spirit said to Philip, Go up and join this chariot. So the first thing I want you to see is how Philip is directed by God to this particular specific man that we know as the Ethiopian eunuch. Just to give you some context of Acts chapter 8, and really the whole book of Acts. The book of Acts is really about the spread now of the gospel. In the first chapter of Acts, we see Jesus Christ address his disciples for the last time. And what he told them is, you wait in Jerusalem until the Holy Spirit has come upon you. You've received power. Then you're going to be my witnesses. You're going to be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the uttermost parts of the earth. Well, in these first seven chapters of Acts, we've seen that begin to take place. The Holy Spirit has come. They've received power. They've begun to preach. They've preached in Jerusalem. The number of people now following Jesus Christ in Jerusalem had gotten to where they quit counting. The first count they took was over 3,000. Then they said, now it's grown to the point where there's 5,000 just men. And now they just call it a multitude. So the first part of that prophecy and the first part of that command's already taken place. The gospel is spreading now incredibly in Jerusalem. In fact, it's upsetting the religious folks. They don't like it. But it's also been spreading all over Judea, all over the Holy Land. And even more specifically, we see it in Acts chapter 8, finally gets to Samaria. And what you need to know about Samaria is these were God-fearers. These would have considered themselves Jews in that sense. And yet the Samaritans and the folks living in Jerusalem didn't get along with each other. In fact, they would avoid each other at all costs. Wouldn't talk to each other. If you were going from Jerusalem up to the Sea of Galilee, you would have avoided Samaria. And yet, if you remember when Jesus had the conversation with the woman at the well in John chapter 4, it says he had to go through Samaria. I think that was another divine appointment. He didn't have to go through. In fact, they avoided it. But Jesus went through there because he was going to meet this woman at the well, and she was going to become a follower. And so that's been happening. In fact, it says that once the gospel had gotten to Samaria, they sent for Peter and for John, and they came up into Samaria and were preaching. And that's what Philip has been doing. Philip's been preaching the gospel. They're heading back to Jerusalem. 
But on the way, in all these villages of Samaria, they've been preaching the gospel. And it's at that moment that Peter has this encounter with an angel. And here's what the angel says. Get up, leave here, go down towards Gaza. In fact, go to the desert road. Scholars think there were two roads that led from Jerusalem to Gaza, which was about 60 miles from Jerusalem. There were two roads, and he, he told him, don't take the, the one that a lot of people are taking nowadays. Take the desert road, the place that's kind of deserted, about two and a half miles off the coast of the Mediterranean Sea. Take that road. Now, Philip doesn't know what he's going for. That's all the instructions he gets. He, he doesn't get, I've got a plan for you. There's a guy you're going to meet down there. You've got an appointment. No, it's just get up and go. In fact, at several points of this instructions that Peter gets, there's several places he could have, he could have been hindered from obeying. And I'll, I'll unpack those in just a minute, a little bit more specifically. But he gets up and goes. And on the way down there, he notices a caravan. He notices, uh, it wasn't just one chariot, it would have been a group of chariots because of who this was. But what he notices is an Ethiopian eunuch. The Ethiopian eunuch is in his chariot. He's reading from a scroll. And I'll talk more about that in a minute. But here's what it says about the Ethiopian eunuch. It, it tells us some specific things about him. He was a court official, which meant he had a high office. And in some cases in Scripture, it, to be called a eunuch simply meant that you were a court official. And if you know anything about eunuchs, uh, if you need explanation on that, see me after the, ser- after the service. But it basically meant this guy had been set aside for service. Potiphar in the Old Testament was called a eunuch, but we don't think he was physically a eunuch. It was just an office that he was given. The reason we don't think he was a eunuch, he had a wife. All right. This guy, though, the fact that it says he was both a eunuch and a court official meant that he was both. And the reason that's important is this. This guy had been to Jerusalem to worship. 1,500 miles from Ethiopia to Jerusalem, this guy had traveled. They didn't have airplanes. <laughs> they didn't have trains. They didn't have cars. It would have taken weeks, if not months, to travel that distance back and forth to make a round trip. But he went to worship. And I want to tell you, because of the fact he was a eunuch, his worship would have been limited. He couldn't have gone into the temple. And yet one thing we know is he had left Jerusalem with a scroll. I don't know if your church has a bookstore, (laughs) but the temple didn't have a bookstore where they sold Bibles. And so to leave with a scroll meant that this guy had paid a very large sum of money to have a scroll. That's how much he was at least investigating God, if not already a believer in Yahweh God, the God of the Old Testament. He was already there. And you may wonder, well, why did he pick Isaiah? Why did he pick that particular scroll? Because, again, they didn't have the entire Old Testament bound together like you and I have it. They would literally bring out a jar a clay jar, and pull a scroll out of it and read from Isaiah. So this guy had purchased one of those and was reading it. In case you're wondering, okay, he's in a chariot. Sometimes we hear the word chariot and we're thinking Ben-Hur. You might know that. You know, there's no way he could have been reading if that's the kind of chariot that he was in, you know, where he was standing up, flailing the horses, and they were just getting it down the road. He was probably in an ox-drawn cart that had a driver because he is seated and he's reading. You couldn't read from a scroll if you were going very fast. You would have gotten chariot sick. <laughs> All right. So it probably wasn't moving that fast. And, and the only reason we know it wasn't moving that fast is when Philip approached, Philip was on foot. And I don't think Philip was running trying to catch him. I think they intersected because the Spirit had told him to meet there. And so he's reading from Isaiah. 
And one reason I think he was reading from Isaiah is because Isaiah has something to say about eunuchs. Isaiah 56, just listen. Isaiah 56, verses 3 through 5 says this. Let not the foreigner who has joined himself to the Lord say, The Lord will surely separate me from his people. Nor let the eunuch say, Behold, I am a dry tree. For thus says the Lord, To the eunuchs who keep my Sabbaths and choose what pleases me and hold fast to my covenant, to them I will give in my house and within my walls a memorial. And a name better than that of sons and daughters. I will give them an everlasting name which will not be cut off. So I think as this eunuch, perhaps he had already heard that verse or that passage, and he's thinking, how does this God of the Old Testament connect with me, a foreigner? And more than that, me, a eunuch, do I have any part in all of this? And so he's reading the scroll, and that's how Philip finds him. In fact, Philip's, the, the, the Spirit now speaks to Philip and says, that's why you're here. Go and attach yourself. Go join. The word literally means go glue yourself to that chariot. <laughs> so Philip walks up close enough to hear him reading from Isaiah. We'll talk a, bit, a minute about what he has to say. But here, here's some of the hindrances. When I read this scripture, I, I want to make some application to us. And, and at the end, I've just got some specific applications. But here, are there, have there ever been times the Spirit told you to do something? And don't raise your hand, but... I'll be honest, there have been times that I've looked back and realized God was telling me to do something I didn't do. And I, I'm, I don't like that. I don't want that to ever happen again, but it's happened before. Well, here's, here's Philip. He could have said, I'm too busy, God, because he was preaching the gospel. They were having incredible success. People were coming to faith in Christ. And when the angel approached him and said, Philip, you need to leave this and go down to a desert road, he could have thought humanly, wait a minute, i got too much going on here. And you're telling me to go to the desert? Wow. Or he could have said, uh, who am I, once he gets to, the, to see this caravan and realize the royalty of the caravan, he could have thought, who am I to approach that? Now the Spirit is saying, okay, an angel told you to come, but now the Spirit is saying, that's why you're here. Go, go, go meet up with that caravan. He could have thought, man, I'm on foot. They're, they're in carts. That's a royal Caravan, I, that's not the same class of people. I can't talk to them. And maybe even what's worse, and what we may say these days is, he could have said, you know what, he's not like me. Philip would have been a Middle Easterner, light skin. The Ethiopian would have been dark skin. In fact, that's really what the word Ethiopia, Ethiopian means. It means burned face. It means dark skin. And so he could have thought, he's not like me. He's of a different nationality. And so I, I'm not going to go talk to him. See, Philip had been sharing the gospel in Samaria with people that looked a lot like him that were part of the same nationality, really. In fact, that was kind of a stretch to go to Samaria. But now you're asking me to go to somebody from Ethiopia? In fact, Ethiopia, 1,500 miles away, for a Roman or a Greek mindset, that was the edge of the earth. And yet, what's happening now? You will take my gospel to Jerusalem? to Judea, to Samaria, to where? The uttermost parts of the world. What's God doing? He's fulfilling the Great Commission. He's sending Philip to meet some guy, not in Ethiopia, he's sending him to meet him in Gaza, 60 miles from Jerusalem, but he's meeting up with a guy who's going to take the gospel back 1,500 miles. That's how the gospel is going to spread. More on that later. Now let's look at the explanation, because Philip hears him reading 
Let's continue on in the passage. Verse 29. Now verse 30. Philip ran up and heard him read, reading Isaiah the prophet and said, Do you understand what you're reading? And he said, Well, how could I unless someone guides me? And he invited Philip to come up and sit with him. Now the passage of Scripture which he was reading was this. He was led as a sheep to slaughter. And as a lamb before its shearers is silent, so he does not open his mouth. In humiliation, his judgment was taken away. Who will relate his generation? For his life is removed from the earth. Then the eunuch answered Philip and said, Please tell me, of whom does the prophet say this? Of himself or someone else? Then Philip opened his mouth. And beginning from this scripture, he preached Jesus to him. Philip takes the opportunity, he hears him reading from Isaiah, and so he just starts with where this guy is. This guy's already open to the claims of God, at least. And so Philip says, hey, do you understand what you're reading? See, I think the best approach to witnessing is to listen. Sometimes, and it's cool to have a tool like the Roman roads or the four spiritual laws or God's plan for life or EE or CWT, any of those, those are all good. But sometimes if we're so focused on what we've memorized that we don't hear what the person's already saying, we may be answering questions they're not asking. So I think one of the best forms of evangelism is to simply start with where the person is. I had a professor in seminary that said his plan was this. If, I, if he went in and was buying shoes, he would say to the person selling shoes, hey, when you're not selling shoes, what do you do? And they may say, well, I like to fish. What is it about fishing? Do you, you, like, you, you like being out in nature? Do you ever think about where the fish come from? When you're out in nature and you look around, do you ever think about where all that came from? Or the person says, well, I'm an artist. Yeah, really? Who do you think, where do you think that drive to be an artist? Where do you think that talent came from? And it gives you an opportunity to turn the conversation to things of God. I had a time when I was a youth pastor and a grandparent actually made an appointment and said, I want you to talk to my grandchild. And the grandchild was in trouble at school. And she knew the grandchild didn't want to come to church. She knew the grandchild didn't know Jesus as his Lord and Savior. So I'm, I'm in my office thinking, how's this conversation going to go? This guy does not want to come and see me. <laughs> and so I thought, you know, I don't think I'm going to start with some gospel presentation. And in the moment he walked in the room, I thought, here's the only thing I know to ask this kid. Because, man, the defenses were up. He had the attitude flying. And so I simply said, hey, are you happy? And he just broke down and started crying. He said, no. I don't know what he was prepared for to defend against, but it wasn't that. Because basically, my next line, if he had said, yeah, I'm happy, I was going to say, then keep doing what you're doing. But if you ever realize you're lost as a goose and need a Savior, come back. i got something to tell you. But he said, no, I'm not happy. And that guy prayed to receive Christ in my office that day. And, y'all, I didn't think it was going to go that way. I don't know what Philip expected to happen but I love the approach Philip took with this Ethiopian eunuch who's reading Isaiah. And he simply says, no, I don't understand what I'm reading. How could I if somebody doesn't explain it to me? And so Philip starts at that point. In fact, the verse that he's reading is about a prophecy about Christ being a sheep led to the slaughter. And it says, even like a sheep that is silent before his shearers. Most sheep, when they're about to be sheared, are going to let you know about it. And yet Jesus is at that point where he's silent. He's not defending himself. He's simply being silent and obedient. And it says, in fact, 
justice was taken away from him. But one of the justest things should have been that somebody should have been allowed to come and testify on his behalf. They didn't even allow that. Who will declare him to this generation is what Isaiah, the way Isaiah puts it. And so Philip starts at that point and begins to preach Jesus to him. In fact, at this point, he's announcing the good news. The word preach occurs several times in chapter 8, and it's always the Greek word euangelion, which simply means to announce the good news. What's the good news? The good news is the same good news that the angels announced to the shepherds on the hillside. Hey, a Savior has been born. His name is Jesus. He's the Messiah. He offers forgiveness for sin. He offers eternal life. That's what Philip's preaching. Now, we don't get the whole message, but we know that that's what he's preaching because of the response. But I just want to show you a few evidences of the divine appointment. As I studied this passage, I thought, you know, this is incredible that Philip is going to be led from about 100 miles away to meet up with a guy that's on a desert road, probably not expecting to meet anybody that's up to good on the desert road. And he's going back to a place 1,500 miles away from Jerusalem. First is, Peter, Philip sent by an angel to a specific location. Then he's led by the Spirit to a specific person. But the third thought about the divine appointment is the eunuch was already thinking God thoughts. He was already prepared. God had already been working in his life up to this point to prepare him to hear what Philip had to say. And what you're going to see in just a minute is water was available. And folks, I think that was also a miracle. Let's go ahead and look at the next, the next portion here. The eunuch responds to God. After hearing the gospel, verse 36, As they went along the road, they came to some water. And the eunuch said, Look, water, what prevents me from being baptized? And Philip said, If you believe with all your heart, you may. And he answered and said, I believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. And he ordered the chariot to stop, and they both went down into the water, Philip as well as the eunuch, and he baptized him. When they came up out of the water, the Spirit of the Lord snatched Philip away, and the eunuch no longer saw him, but went on his way rejoicing. But Philip found himself at Azotus, and as he passed through, he kept preaching the gospel to all the cities until he came to Caesarea. So Philip is preaching the gospel, and the eunuch, as they're traveling, sees some water. In fact, I think the tense of what he's saying, the exclamation point is, look! Some water. I don't think the, I think the water was divine appointment because I don't think the water was normally there. And you say, well, wait a minute. You think the water just miraculously appeared? No. But in the desert of Israel, if you've never been there, they have these things called wadis. They're dry riverbeds. And they're, you can tell water has been there, but it isn't there very often. But when it does come, it comes a lot at one time. And it rushes down those mountains and empties into the Dead Sea ultimately or over to the Mediterranean Sea. And at times when it rains heavily, pools form in these wadis, and there would have been plenty of water to be baptized. And so I think God had prepared the eunuch for Philip and Philip for the eunuch, and now even has provided water. So the Philip, apparently Philip had gotten to the point of the gospel to say, and if once you place your faith in Jesus Christ, he's commanded us to go into all the nations and baptize them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. So obviously the eunuch was at the point of saying, I'm ready to, I'm ready to trust Christ as my Savior. And hey, there's some water. Is there anything stopping me from being baptized? Now we come to verse 37. In some of your Bibles it's bracketed. In some of your Bibles it's not even in there. 
what's that all about? Well, if you look at the footnote, a lot of your Bibles will say most of the older manuscripts don't contain verse 37. You're saying, wait a minute, how could it not contain verse 37? You know, did they just skip from verse 36 to verse 38? Well, when the New Testament was written, they didn't write in chapters and in verse distinctions. They just, it just wrote, okay? Somebody came along later and added all that in, added the, the numbers to the, to the verses. And so if the oldest manuscripts don't have it, then either somebody added it or there's older manuscripts that did have it. So if, you gotta, if that's going to cause you to lose sleep or whatever, talk to me after the service. But the truth is this. We know that verse 37 happened because you don't go from verse 36 to verse 38 without the guy knowing the gospel. So what's the message that Philip had been preaching? Well, let me share in a nutshell what I would say if I was in his shoes. And Philip couldn't open the Bible and say, well, let me take you to Romans. But he shared the gospel with him. Okay, let me just share a few verses. Romans chapter 3. Romans chapter 3, verses 21 through 24. says this. But now, apart from the law, the righteousness of God has been manifested, being witnessed by the law and the prophets. Even the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all those who believe, for there is no distinction. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, being justified as a gift by His grace through the redemption which is in Christ Jesus, whom God displayed publicly as a propitiation in His blood through faith. This was to demonstrate his righteousness, because in the forbearance of God, he passed over the sin previously committed. What's Romans saying? The same thing that Philip had preached to this guy. We have all sinned. Because of that, we're separated from God. And reading the scroll of Isaiah is only going to tell you about God. Just accomplishing that reading is not going to make you a follower of Jesus Christ. So all have sinned, and he recognized that. The Ethiopian unit didn't need, need any more explanation of that. Then look at Romans chapter 10, verses 9 and 10. Romans 10, 9 and 10. If you confess with your mouth Jesus as Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart a person believes, resulting in righteousness, and with the mouth he confesses, resulting in salvation. And then lastly, over in 1 John chapter 5. 1 John chapter 5, just a great verse, verse 13. John says, These things I've written to you who believe in the name of the Son of God so that you may know that you have eternal life. So if I had to put it in one word, the word is believe. What did the Ethiopian eunuch did? He believed. He understood that he was a sinner separated from God but he also understood, even though I'm a eunuch, even though I'm of a different race, a different nationality, I live 1,500 miles away from the holy city, this offer applies to me. And so, yes, I place my faith in Jesus Christ. It's the same thing that you can do today. And so he, orders, he sees the water, he orders the chariot to stop, and they go down into the water, and the Ethiopian eunuch is baptized by Philip. And then right after that, the Spirit snatches him away. In fact, it says that the eunuch never saw him again. And he ends up 20 miles away in a town where, you know, I don't know about you, but I'm, I'm thinking this was just a miraculous, he was there, they come up out of the water, and he's gone. 
And he ends up 20 miles away. And what does Philip do? He doesn't call, like, CNN or Fox News or something and say, hey, I just time traveled. You know, I just traveled 20 miles. I don't even know where I am. I need a welcome center. No. What does he do? He just starts back preaching the gospel. See, he was on mission for God. He was on mission for God in Samaria and went down to Gaza. When that was over, he's back. he just goes back to doing what he was doing. And it says that the eunuch never saw him again. But you know what the eunuch did? He went on rejoicing. He went on worshiping. He went on praising God while Philip is preaching the good news. Now, I want to close this morning with simple, just a few so what's. Okay? You hear the God, you hear the message, you hear the narrative, you know what's happened with this Philip and this eunuch. Well, so what? First thing is this. God is purposeful. God is intentional. God is purposeful. God is sovereign. God put Philip together with a eunuch. And folks, let's transfer that into this generation. God can do the same thing in your life. God's intention is for you to come to know Him by faith in Jesus Christ. The second thought is that God can use obedient people. Why do you think Philip was able to be directed by the Spirit? It's because he was already obedient. He was already doing what God had told him to do. You may have heard it said, it's easier to steer a moving ship. See, some of us are tethered to the dock, and God can't get our attention. And maybe the one reason is we're still saying, God, what do you want me to do? And he's saying, I've told you what to do. Start doing that, then I'll tell you the next step. And we're still waiting for the ten-page outline. Folks, I would simply say to this, God uses obedient people. When, when God tells you to do something, do it. Start with what you know. Be obedient where God's placed you. The third thought is just what I've already said about evangelism. Listen, when you do evan- when you want to talk to somebody about Christ, it's not about a program or a plan. It's just hear where they are and take them from there, there towards Christ. Fourth thing is this. I've thought a lot about this this week. What is your motivation for evangelism? I talk to some people that their motivation is almost more of fear. It's almost, if I don't share Christ with them, that person will die and go to hell. That's a good thought. Fear is not a real good motivation for evangelism. The flip side of that is some that say, no, if they're chosen of God, they're going to come to faith in Christ. And so for them, I say, well, then what's your motivation for evangelism? Well, it's simply obedience. It's simply duty. And again, is being obedient wrong? No. Whatever happened to this reason, out of joy, you have met the living Savior, and you're you're so excited about that, you just got to tell somebody. See, I think that was it for Philip. I don't think Philip had a day planner that he got up and he said, all right, I've got to tell somebody about Jesus. Or that he was did it out of fear. I think it was simply this. Jesus Christ has radically changed my life. I was walking away from God, and if I'd continued in that direction, I would spend eternity condemned, separated from a holy God. And Jesus Christ has died on the cross to forgive me. So I'm not going that way anymore. And I want to tell everybody that is going that way about Jesus. What's your motivation for evangelism? I've shared this before. One of my favorite preachers was a guy named Dave Busby. And I love the way Dave Busby put it. He simply said it this way. How good is your good news? That's what evangelism is. That's what the word really means. It means to announce good news. Well, let me ask you something. Is your news good 
You kind of go around saying, you're just kind of miserable. Man, I'm a Christian. You ought to become one too. I tell you, if that's your approach, people are saying, I don't want anything to do with that. You look miserable. Don't drag me into your misery. (laughs) But folks, if you've met the authentic Savior, one who's radically changed your life, your motivation for evangelism is going to be, I want you to know about Jesus Christ and what he's done in my life. How good is your good news? If somebody followed you around, would they even want to know what is the reason for the hope that's within you? How good is your good news? The fifth thought is people need a verbal witness. I hear people say all the time, well, you know, I'm not going to tell people about Jesus. I'm just going to live the life. Well, living the life is good. It backs up what you're going to tell them. But they cannot come to faith in Christ without a preacher. And I don't mean drag them to church on Sunday morning. You're the preacher. Romans puts it this way. Romans 10, following after that passage I just read. Whoever will call on the name of the Lord will be saved. How will they call on Him whom they not believed? How will they believe in Him whom they not heard? How will they hear without a preacher? How will they preach unless they are sent? Just as it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news of good things. He's talking about your feet, folks, not mine. I, I, I got two feet. I'm using them. But he's not just saying, drag your friends to the preacher. He's saying, you're the preacher. You're the one telling good news. In fact, listen to me, students. Some of your friends are going to listen a whole lot more to you than they ever will to me. You could drag them to hear me, and they're going to say, that dude's old. He doesn't identify with me. And they might not hear a thing. I may be like the Charlie Brown cartoon that all they could hear is, wah, 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 wah. But you know what they see in your life? If you're legitimately a Christian and you're living the life, they say, you know what, I can identify with that. And you can tell them the reason for the hope that's within you. Last thing, the eunuch became an evangelist. See, Jesus says, I'm going to build my church. And he says, you're going to be my witnesses. And this word, this good news is going to spread to the edge of the world. It's really going to take over the entire world. Today in Ethiopia, over, seven, over 60% of the population of Ethiopia claim to be Christians. Now, I don't know what form all that takes. That's just one of the statistics that I read. How did that, get, how did that word get there? I think it got there initially from an Ethiopian eunuch that we don't know his name. We, don't, we may never know his name until we see him in heaven one day. And he's going to say, I'm the guy they wrote about in Acts chapter 8. But he took the good news and shared it back in a country 1,500 miles from where it all started in Jerusalem. And here's the thought I had. He didn't have to go back to Jerusalem next time to worship God. Folks, you don't have to go to Jerusalem to worship God. You don't even have to come into a church with pews and stained glass windows. This Ethiopian eunuch went his way on a desert road worshiping God, rejoicing. He got back to Ethiopia Worshiping God and rejoicing. I want to close with this thought. I've had the opportunity to go to the Holy Land twice, and the first time I went, the first hotel we stayed in was a group of pilgrims from Ethiopia. Christians who'd come to Jerusalem for the same reason I was, to walk in the footsteps of Jesus. Some of them still had tribal markings on their face, but they had been impacted by the gospel, and they were coming to Jerusalem to see the place where Jesus gave his life and where he walked and ministered.
So, folks, you may say, what does that have to do with me? Folks, you're a lot further away from Jerusalem than Ethiopia. You're about five or 6,000 miles. But the gospel has come to us. My question is, have you received it? Let's pray together. Bow your heads with me. Father, thank you for your word and for the story of evangelism that we see in Acts chapter 8. And God, my prayer is that when we leave here today, you would apply that word to us, that, Father, you are a purposeful God. And, God, you're a God who can take any one of us who's placed our faith in you and tell somebody else about Jesus. We may not have a 15-point plan, but starting with where they are, we can tell where we've been and where you've brought us. And that's the best evangelism I know. Somebody put it this way, it's just one beggar telling another beggar where to find bread. It's one sinner who's been saved by Jesus Christ telling another sinner how they can be forgiven. So God, give us opportunity this week to do just that. We pray this in Christ's name.